on this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Like, there's people doing interesting stuff, contemporary fiction right now. I think I did read all of, uh, nearly, I've got the last one to read, uh, Karl Ove Kanausgaard, who is like a very big literary sensation. Uh, he wrote this six-volume book, six-volume series of book called My Struggle. And wow, it, it was a, it became like this project that just expanded and it just became about his entire life and different parts of his life. And he... Hell of a title. <laughs> hell of a title, yeah. He, he wrote it almost as a... a mo- grabber, he, yeah. he wrote it as a parody of yeah. uh, Mein, mein Kampf, just, just using the, the title. Stephen Hussey. I'm so glad you're back. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me, Jason. Good to be back, man. It's been a while since we last caught up. When was that? Oh, gosh. I mean, probably first, uh, maybe early last year. I don't, it's probably been nearly a year. I, maybe not man. quite that long. Six months to a year. Too long. Right. Yeah. Too long, man. How was is, how is 2022? I, uh, it looks like we didn't get quite the calm year we were promised after two years of COVID. How is it treating you so far? So far, so good. And the thing that I'm finding myself, and and this is something we could probably talk about for a little bit, is it seems like I needed to slow down because I have so much I want to do, which I suppose is a good thing. Uh, Because I don't say that in a bad way. All of my quote unquote busyness is self-inflicted. I could really do not a lot of things if I wanted to. Um, But right now I am I, I, I really want to put the pedal to the metal, create content, write, do things like this, uh, and just really push. And it's like, man, it's just trying to find the enough time to squeeze it in. So how about you? Yeah, I've, I've had a bit, of, a bit of a quiet start to the year. I've been like kind of, I gave up my apartment in London for a while. So I've kind of just been at home, uh, seeing the family a bit, spending some time with them, going to come off to America for a month and first time I've been back in the US since pre-COVID so I really miss it and miss all my uh you know people I like to catch up with in New York and LA and you know when I come to visit my brother so I'm very much raring to go and and going back next week so very excited about that yeah and I've been just kind of kind of uh, doing a lot of podcasting with my brother uh, on our podcast, the Love Life podcast, and that's going great. So we've been getting great feedback on that and, you know, pushing harder. I've been writing uh, with my friend and sort of writing colleague, uh, Michelle. So we've been we've been back on that horse together. So, so yeah, it's been, it wasn't the quickest start to the year, but I feel like we've got some momentum again now. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're going to make the trip over. And, you know, uh, Jimlin and I have not been back to New York since the very, very, I think probably the first month of the pandemic, which was like, I guess, February 2020 is the last time we were there. And we had already been to New York for three three times in 2020 whenever everything shut down. So we're dying to get back. So if we could both make our triumphant return together, my friend, nothing, <laughs> nothing would please me more. Hey, if we can make it there, we can make it anywhere. Absolutely. You know, old New York. That's it, baby. That's it. <laughs> we'll, we'll take uh, that city by storm. Okay. Speaking of that, 
have you seen this Netflix uh, documentary thing about inventing Anna? Have you seen? Oh no, everyone's talking about that. You you've got to sell me on it. What's what's the premise? Okay, so it's this girl that I don't know, and I don't I remember her name, but I don't remember following the story. Apparently, she is from Eastern Europe, and she comes over, and she basically poses as uh, as an heiress and somehow lit mm -hmm. i mean gets into the uber elite circles of new york society and it turns out she's just a big you know fraud uh but she still to this day maintains that she's not that she really is who she says she was and so it's kind of it's re reminiscent of you know there was a guy from i think france that posed as a descendant of the uh, rockefeller family and we got VIP service everywhere, everywhere he went. He could go to the palm room at the plaza with his hat on backwards and they would let him do whatever he wanted. That's how this girl is. And it's pretty, it's, it's pretty entertaining. And it's got, it's not, it's got just enough of that kind of, um, you know, true crime TV kind of cheesiness to it. It's got some of that, but it's all in all pretty well made for the type of, story that it is i'm enjoying it i i i think you would enjoy just watching just how here, here's what i get from it and i told jimlin this last night this girl is like every other bernie madoff or anybody else swindler has she has incredible drive and talent it's just misdirected and it's just amazing watching how if you are confident enough and you believe in yourself enough and you're a good enough salesperson, you can pretty much conquer the world. And that's what she did, man. And so it's it's entertaining. It really is. Yeah. You you burn big and bright and then go down in flames. If it's yeah. if it's all com if it's all confidence, that tends to be the path, right? But it does. I was talking about this with my brother earlier because we were doing a little book club session on a uh, Julia Gayleff's book, The Scout Mindset. And it's kind of about why some people like it's a book about how to be more rational and clear thinking but the dangers of certain overconfidence but you know we were talking about that like confidence on its own and success is so charismatic oh. and it's so certainty is so seductive and that's why we like if it's the tinder swindler or anyone else success is so is such an overwhelming charismatic force for people that it it can just blind them to everything and people fall for it every day. And I think social media has made that worse because now you can you can really make yourself look so much more important than you are, especially if you figure out how to get into the right places and get, get your picture taken beside the right people, which is what she did. And the thing is, and that's what, when you said, if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. That's what made me think about that is like, that's a tough nut to crack. I mean, that's a very elite social crowd that um, it's, well, I mean, some of the people that have cracked that, not don't aren't that impressive and to, to, to the point of the, this this show but she did it man she had a meeting out of the palm of her hand it, it's it's really crazy uh and then talking about overconfidence a great book recommendation if you have not read it yet adam grant's think again have you read that one oh i did i read that last year yeah that was great yeah yeah that dude is a he is he's something i think he's about your age and if i'm not mistaken is maybe the um, the number one professor at Wharton at this point with whatever that is, whatever that means, whatever that ranking is. He's or I don't know if that means he's most published or whatever, but 
the dude is pretty brilliant. He's he, he's something. Yeah, else. I thought his book Originals was excellent as well. I haven't that read was, that one yet. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think the subtitle is How Nonconformists Change the World, but it's they had really good. Some of these creativity books can be a little abstract, and it's very hard thing to pin down like creativity, but. But he actually gives some really interesting insights to what fosters more original thinking, even ones that sound a bit banal, like the fact that people historically who just had many ideas tended to have more great ideas. Mm -hmm. So like Mozart wrote hundreds of symphonies, Picasso made thousands of paintings, and there's a kind of selection we call the masterpieces, but actually a lot of a lot of people who are very exceptional creatively, they just they just made a hell of a lot of work. Yep. And, and it does kind of become a bit, not a numbers game, but it just allows them to try so many different experiments that eventually some are hit lightning. You know, and that's one of the things that uh, just as a topic that I try to encourage my daughters that we were talking about before we came on is try as many things as you possibly can just try to create good work and whatever that is that you're doing at that moment don't worry about yeah. it being perfect but just try to just kill it with that thing and it's okay to be doing multiple things just keep churning out just keep making your brain sweat if you will do yeah. that eventually worst case scenario worst case scenario you will be a better thinker than those who just find their lane, run in it until they run it down into a rut and they look up and go, oh, hell, I, I'm done. <laughs> I can't. I, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, that, that, that's, uh, yeah, no, it is true. It's like, there's not really a great negative to coming out with like producing more and more great work wherever you do it. Like I've written blog articles, hundreds of them. I've done podcasts, I've done, you know, videos. And, and it's funny when you look back at them all, it's only a percentage. There's there's a bunch you're you're happy with, but there's there's a small bunch that you think, man, we crushed it there. Like that that one was amazing, and you don't always know when they're gonna come. But like, I looked back at like 200 blog posts recently, and I realized there's like there's like 10 absolute killers, or let's say 10 to 15. I think, bam, that is like I could still post that today, and I posted it seven years ago, and it still hits and smashes it. And everyone shares it whenever I repost it. And it's like, you know, your your cream, you get so much disproportionate success from the exceptional ones. Yeah. That it's worth going through all the others. You know, it's like the 80-20 rule, the Pareto rule, the, yeah. the small amount drives the most results. As in any business, the the best clients drive a lot of your results or the best product. It um it's happened in so many places that it's worth it's worth putting a lot out to see what the exceptional stuff is. And I think you have to be willing to put some, not, not on purpose, not just to put stuff out to be putting con, you know, just volume out, but it's okay to suck for a while. Most people sucked before they were ever really good. And that's what I had. That's like this podcast. I mean, I, I've been at this now, man, it will be three years in May that I've been doing this. And, you know, a buddy of mine, who has a podcast he's out of south carolina james Quandall. he did some research and said and this man to, to speak to yours and your brother's podcast what you guys have done this ought to make you feel good so of all the podcasts out there less than 10 percent of them have more than 100 episodes 
So you think of how many, everybody talks about, oh, there's so many podcasts. Why would you ever start a podcast now? There's so many. Yeah, but those people who start a podcast and are willing to continue on when they look at their downloads and it's 30 or 20, to be able to go in next week and go, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go again. Yeah, that's something that uh, I think that people should be aware of too, is that it's okay to create stuff that's not any good. I mean, Hemingway wrote some crap we'll never read. It's like Seth Godin always says, whenever somebody comes to him and says they have writer's block, you know, he says, there's no such thing as writer's block. Show me your bad writing. And most people mm -hmm. say, well, well, I, I can't, I have, I have, if you got writer's block, then go, where's the crap that you've written while you're blocked? Well, I didn't do that. Yeah. No, you know, so. If you can't show one, so show someone the bad book, the bad novel, then you don't get to complain that exactly. you haven't finished a novel. Exactly. Well, can we talk about what you and your writing partner are writing? Is it? Yeah. So, yeah. So we we don't write together in that we don't write on the same work together. But I guess um, Michelle, if you're listening, hello. Uh, she's my accountability uh, buddy. She's my friend. She's someone who got in touch. I think we met early in the pandemic through email and um, she's done some work for our company now and works with us, but she's a really great editor. And, um, you know, she also aspires to write fiction as well. So we just kind of, we, at one point, um, just in the spirit of moving things along, we hired someone she knew who was a novelist, who is a working novelist and came and actually did weekly sessions with us to get us to give them five pages she would then read them give us feedback each and we critique each other's work and she's writing something very different to me she's writing more of a science fiction novel and i'm writing more of a contemporary drama i guess a coming of age novel um but uh we kind of trade you know so it's like we're quite different in ways but but we trade ideas and critique and i guess a lot of it is just a thing of getting you to put your butt in the chair and get your five pages out it's it does a hell of a lot for you of having no choice and who wants to show up when you've paid a novelist however many however many hundreds of dollars to do sessions with them and you're going to show up with no pages it kind of feels stupid and a waste of time so so you uh you tend to show up when you have that what has have you shown up and had any because i've never done anything like that i think that's a great idea i do I, I i kind of crowdsourced my last uh my last book that we'll we'll talk about in a minute that i've got coming out pretty soon i just had a lot of people just read it you know give me some feedback when you do that was was there ever a time where you had put put something on the page that you thought oh i love this sentence just this one this it's beautiful and she was just like eh no and or or was there some other thing that she loved that you were like eh, that was easy i mean were there any big surprises from any of your sessions or have have there been so far yeah well that was the really cool thing because you don't often get a chance to have a professional someone who's you know she's been she's a working novelist that's how she pays the bills that she's she's had and she's had some great successes i think one of her novels is being turned into a tv show now so so um she's really good at what she does and uh it it's it's very nerve-wracking because it's very different showing it to a professional always um and but actually it was it was much more encouraging than i anticipated because 
I would get something that felt very, anything I felt was a little idiosyncratic or weird or a very specific uh, moment, let's say in the novel that I thought this is a bit of a weird bit, or this is a bit of a funny line of dialogue, or this is a kind of odd moment that's kind of uh, weird or dirty or funny or crazy. Like, that would often be the part where I was getting a lot of like that. That would be like, that is hilarious or that you've got to keep that in there or that, that line is so beautiful or so funny or so perfect. And it would often be the bits that I felt were a little bit on the edge of weird. And so that was a really interesting lesson of, of um, leaning. I have to learn this over and over again, but leaning into your own, your own strange voice, whatever yep. it might be. Yep. I don't think my voice is particularly strange in writing. It's not, I, I mean, if you read someone truly offbeat, <laughs> it's not, it's not out there in like the electric Kool-Aid acid test or uh, Thomas Pynchon or someone like that, but um, who are great by the way, but you know, but uh, no, but, but there's some bits where you are a little embarrassed. You, you feel a little bit vulnerable or you feel it's a bit strange and those were often the parts that they loved. So I really thought, man, I've got to push harder here because your temptation is to sand off the edges or to appeal to as many people as possible. At least There's some conformist streak in all of us at times. It's like, maybe I don't want to go to this weird place or that's going to sound too kooky. Um, and it just taught me to, to lean into that stuff more. And I heard... Um, I heard David Bowie once, there's some quote he had about that, where he talked about how all the interesting stuff at the bleeding edge, he tries to always be on the idiosyncratic and the, and the, the edge of his weird little idiosyncrasies and all those bits in David Bowie songs where you're like, I'm not sure what the hell he means by that, but it sounds yeah. good. Or I'm not sure what Ziggy Sardust and the Spiders from Mars are exactly, but I don't know. There's something sticky about that. It's a crazy idea, but. It's that that you're so right. That reminds me of Liam Gallagher. One no, it was uh, Noel was asked one time um, about um, I guess it was uh, Champagne Supernova, right. and, and he said, uh, and someone had asked him one time, "What slowly walking down the walking down the hall uh, faster than a cannonball?" And he they said, "So what does that mean?" He goes, "I have no fucking idea." He said, "But." <laughs> He said, but when I sing it in a concert, the entire the entire arena sings it back to me. So it must have meant something to someone. It meant nothing to me. <laughs> and that's which uh, that's a lot of what I love about Noel Gallagher and his lyrics. But he's like, he would write things. Said, I don't. It just sounded good. It just that's why I wrote it. It just sounded good. It went with the the riff that I created, and um, and I that's something. I, it's cool to hear you say that because I do have a. A twisted mind, not like in some weird murder, sadistic way, but I, you could just ask my wife and children, I'm the weirdest guy that they know. I mean, my wife tells me all the time, I love you, but you are just weird. And, but, and, and so it's hard for me to sometimes want to write those things because the people that I would get to, you know, kind of look over and say, Hey, what do you think about this? They'd be like, Oh God, I know you were kind of goofy, but. Really, where, where did that come from? But I guess you do have to do that. And it worked like, uh, I always butcher his name, but uh, Chuck Polinwick, he wrote Fight Club and mm -hmm. and Pygmy and all those. I mean, now he gets a little, he, he's obsessed with sex, which is kind of gets on my nerves a little bit, mm -hmm. but I still love his writing style. And it, it will just all of a sudden, it's so 
bizarre his character sometimes it just makes me laugh out loud which is yeah i enjoy there's always an audience somewhere right we're not all that unique yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's really funny because when you read certain stuff you think where the hell does that come from and yeah certainly some of those chuck polonic ones i remember reading one of his that was um about the girl the 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 spoiled girl who goes to hell i think it's called damned damned or something yeah, yeah. And it's so dark and so <laughs> you know like a lot of his books are yeah i mean they're all extremely dark you, you, if, if you've seen or watched fight club you know the the tone but um that some of the ideas in that his visions of hell are so ridiculous and dark and outlandish but the images are hilarious like there's some desert of like used diapers or something and there's all these like just just horrible ideas but it's just yeah it's it's um it's it's a silly image that you'd think maybe a child would think of but sometimes there are things like that where it's just like i was writing it and it made me laugh and so i've got to do it now and yeah. i've got to just i've got to go for it because it's the idea that's there and and i think i i struggle i mean fiction is something i do it's not my job so i do it for fun i do it for passion it's a pure desire led uh project which which is good because at least i know it comes from a pure place of a of desire but it's something i've over the years had incredible over analysis anxiety uh at times it's put me in a really bad place because I've wanted to do it and then abandoned things or, or been crippled with self-doubt. And whereas I don't doubt I can write blogs and podcasts and there's certain other areas where I can just put that stuff out all day and I don't agonize over it. So, so it's something tied up in it. And, and when I let go of, I think I used to have an idea and then squash it with overthinking it and why doesn't it sound like those other novels I've read and it should be perfect. And there was all this stuff that I don't do in any other part of my life, but I was applying it here instead of being like, ha ha, that line of dialogue is funny. What if she said that next, that would be a funny thing to say. And what would happen then? And, and then I don't mind as much going down a weird garden path because it's just like, this is what, this is what I have in me today. I don't yeah. have anything else. I don't, right. I can't make something I don't have. And so this has got to be entirely me and whatever that is, whatever the good and the flaws are of me and my writing style and my voice and my skills and my lacking it. If it feels like that, then I win. That's yeah. how I look at it now. As, as long as it feels like that, I've won the game. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing is, it's good to hear you say that because the bottom line is if you feel comfortable being God, which is what an author of fiction is in a very micro way. I mean, and it, which is kind of what I never thought, like the, the most recent thing I wrote is fiction. And I had never considered writing fiction, really. I have some ideas for some memoirs that have some fictional accounts, maybe to kind of make it funnier. Uh, but I, I never thought until I started writing it, I, I, the, there became this like, hmm, I can literally do what I'm creating people out of thin air and they can have whatever personality, whatever insecurities, they can be as heroic or as timid as I want them to be. That's, a, and it's in that becomes really fun. I, you know, one of my best book ideas that uh, kind of goes to one of the topics we were talking about offline 
is uh, that the title I think is brilliant. So I need to write the book. It's called Orgasm at a Funeral. And to me, that just <laughs> is that not just a brilliant title that, of deserving, that is a good title. deserving of a book? I, I, and, and there's a story behind it, you know, not an orgasm at a funeral, but it's just, I'm like, and so I was like, hmm, if I, and, and, and for me, the type of memoir that I would write, that's probably how it would start. It would be a story about somebody dying. <laughs> and I would title it orgasm at a funeral. I was like, see, that's, I'm telling you, it's a, it needs to be written just because of the title. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's already i want i want every that story i've already imagining a whole scenario there there's um, you could go some well it's, uh, yeah yeah well we won't, we won't chase the rabbit too deep because i but it's that's I'm, at least that's at least a great chekhov short story one that chekhov never wrote exactly exactly so what um so so wait yeah, tell me this you've been writing right you you've yep. put something out T yep. tell me about your process and an experience with that was that well, tell me about it and what was, how did you find sitting down and doing it and putting it out there? So I was reading Atomic Habits by uh, uh, James Clear. And mm -hmm. there's, a, there's one quote in there that ended up having nothing to do with my book, but it did inspire the idea uh, about a, a rock hammerer or something. I don't remember what it was. That, and, um, and so it prompted this idea and then I also, one of my favorite books of all time is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And mm -hmm. I've studied logotherapy and just kind of, the, I, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a total subscriber to the idea that, you know, you have, at most, our life happens inside and it's not about life happening to us. It's what's the opportunity and how are we going to react in that moment? What are we going to do with that? And, and so it just always has resonated with me. And then, Stephen, I kid you not, man it was like a downpouring i got the idea for the book i went to a coffee shop and hammered out five chapters just like that and it's a parable and the, the plot is this boy i won't give away too many details but this young boy giovanni cristiani it takes place in the the renaissance era um he ends up having to serve out the sentence of his father's crime because his father is unable to serve it out and he's cast into this prison that is it's an outdoor prison it it's set in florence and florence being um interested in beauty and all of all, all the like they they don't want to send prisoners to the stench any longer they want them they've they've created this now outdoor prison where and they also think that this is almost more of a punishment mentally because they're out in the sun and they're tethered to these giant boulders that are bigger than them and for the rest of their life all they do is chisel away at this stone in vain kind of like and i put in the book it's like digging a hole only to fill it back up again there's no there's it's nothing there's nothing to it but that and they live in these little huts that are that are right next to the stone well as is generally the case as joseph campbell lets us know that in the hero's journey a mentor shows up an unsuspecting mentor and he questions the boy as to what he is and of course, that boy says he's a stone chiseler. That's what everyone in this prison is, a stone chiseler. And however, throughout the book, what you see is this young boy making the decision to go from stone chiseler to sculptor. And, and it's not 
although he does end up shaping the physical stone, obviously the more important chiseling that he's doing is his person and his character through this struggle and finding meaning in where he is at this time. And, and then there's some, there's some cool elements to some uh, little, little pieces of historical fiction that I toss in, but I don't broadcast so that someone like you, you're, you're going to, you would read it and immediately go, Oh my God, I know who that is. Wow. And then, and then I'm, I wanted to make it in the, in the movie Forrest Gump, how they had Forrest have these flashes with real life with John Lennon on the Dick Cavett show, I guess. And, and he meets Nixon and he just kind of brushes these historical figures because he's there. It, it's taking place at that time. Well, with this one being set in the Renaissance era, and this is what was really funny about it, Stephen, I'm writing and the mentor that walks up starts talking to the boy. And I kid you not, man, it, this whole thing was like watching a movie and just writing down what I was seeing. And I asked myself, I go, and I'm not going to say the name because I want the, the reader to get to, to kind of decipher for themselves who the mentor is. I go, is that, and I said the name in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, and like, I'm like, like, I, like I were a reader. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, so aside from me being the worst freaking editor on the planet, and I did try to, I didn't, the, my first, uh, couple books I did, which are business type books, uh, you know, about how I escaped from corporate America and got into entrepreneurship. Um, I had an editor and she's fabulous, but this one, I didn't hire her. I did, I did hire an editor and then had a bunch of just kind of crowdsource editing done because I'm so bad at it. But, uh, but anyway, I think it's a good story. It's, it's a quick read. It's a, like I said, it's a parable. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, I, I'm excited about it. And, and again, if no one ever reads it, if no one, the, the people who have proofed it, they said they liked it. Well, you know, because what are they going to say? Uh, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. So the title is The Stone Chiseler. And uh, actually, I want to show you, I have one of my close friends. Uh, and th this is one of the things, reasons why I think it was meant to be. So I'm trying to decide on the cover art. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I, I knew in my mind exactly what I wanted. I knew exactly what, what it should look like. And then I thought, holy crap, Richie Deegan, who's an artist in Austin, friend of mine, it's like, this is totally Richie's style of art. And so I reached out to Richie. I said, Richie, what would this cost me? And he sent me to his website. I'm like, dude, that's more than the whole, you know, publishing the book and marketing and everything. I just, I don't know if that makes good business sense. And he said, well, you know, what can you, you know, just tell me what you want to do. I said, well, here's what I'll do. I said, I'm going to send you the, uh, the manuscript, the rough, the first rough draft, read it. And if you want to be a part of the project, let's, let's figure something out. And about three weeks go by, I don't hear from Richie. I'm like, he thinks this thing just sucked. And he's like, God bless Jason's heart. And then all of a sudden I get an email from him. He said, dude, who the hell wrote this? He said, I'm in what, you know, let's, let's do this. He said, I'll, I'll get some sketches. And I knew I, and I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him exactly what I had in mind. I just said, here, this is your style of art. You've read the story. So, you know, show me what you think. And I'm going to show this to you real quick, the, the painting, because it's so badass. Yeah, please.
For those on audio right now, Jason is rummaging through his man cave. Thank you for filling me out, here, Steve. To pull out, pull out a big painting. Oh, it's a lot bigger than I thought it would be. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Is that Damn. not amazing? Oh, that's really now, cool. Obviously, that's the stone chiseler. And there's his fellow prisoners. So. That is really badass, that painting. I think, and so, uh, what the hell did I do with my... That reminds me a little of that, you know, that mega super popular uh, book. The what is it like? The boy, the fox, the the horse, the mole, and the sun. Yeah, what is that book? I can't remember. That, that book has like really vivid art. Um, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Yeah, yeah. That, that book has really uh, has like just just lovely vivid art. But that that artwork gives me an impression of that like, well, very grand sweeping drawing. And I knew, and I think that um, Richie actually named it uh, Tether and Stone. And I, and so this is just kind of telling on myself. So I get it already. I, I set a, a pre-order date. And then I, so I set this arbitrary timeline for myself to get the Kindle version out. And I put it up and I have the cover, which to me, the cover was just so important. Well, I'm trying my best to do this all myself because I want to be more prolific. I want to, like what we were talking about earlier, I want to be able to write a book and go through the Kindle process and get stuff out, you know, not have to depend on all these different vendors and resources. Just I want to be able to, you know, actually take advantage of Kindle publishing. And so I have it up there and the cover, it's gorgeous. Well, then I create the cover for the paperback or the, or the print version and I post it. And so instead of like, if you go to Kindle, instead of getting to see that gorgeous art, you see the front and the back cover, it's like spread out. So you see the back cover and the front. So which takes away from the, the, the actual, that beautiful art. So whenever the, the uh, print version and the audio version come out, you'll get to, they'll have those actual thumbnails of the, that beautiful painting that Richie did. So anyway, that's, that's the stone chiseler. That's so cool, man. And and do you think the actual process came from something you were dying to express? Or do you think it was just like a great idea? Was it a theme you realized like that theme is something I'm obsessed with? Where what what do you think was the genesis? Yeah, I creatively? think yeah, I okay. Good question. I think several things. One, I want to event, I want to make my life or make my living as a writer. I can't think of a better way because just like we talked about Anne Lamont last time, I love being able to show up and not have to be there. I mean, I, I just, I think that writing, it just checks all of my life's ambitious boxes, which, and not, none of which are monetary. It's just, if I could make my living, living in the printed word, that would be amazing. So there's that. But yes, the message is what I think really resonated with me, Stephen. I think we're living in a world where it's the exact opposite of this story, and it's the exact opposite of Viktor Frankl's message. It's like we have um, so many people preaching to us constantly these days that our entire life is dictated and shaped and by outside forces. It's like we have no agency over our <laughs> feelings, over our lives, over any, we have no agency. And not only that, but we don't have any, all the evil forces are, are dictating our lives every move and only some other outside forces can save us. And we're just left to wait for the savior and until then endure the bad and then and give 
the saviors, the necessary resources to fight the bad, but it never in there is there much talk about, hey, you have so much agency and all these things that we're telling you are what you deserve and will make you happy and make your life better. Most of the things that are being sold by those individuals have nothing to do with where real peace and joy and fulfillment come from, which costs very little money. Uh, doesn't take a lot of effort, actually. It's just getting your mind right and getting your heart right and, and loving people and, and going and finding others to, you know, to give service to. And, and so I, I was just so, I could do one. I, it was, it's kind of like this podcast and just a lot of the things that I do right now. I could beat my fist and bitch and yell and, you know, get all politically active for some cause. Um, but instead, I just want to put stuff out there that, that hopefully mean it's in a it's 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 meaningful and it's it's encouraging it's edifying and that's what i want this book to be i want people to read it and go i can relate to giovanni and then and the and, the, and that's another thing too man is that the chisel i think is a perfect metaphor for so many people's lives and and the boulder you know it's like and i just want to and hopefully that you know if i'm ever you know, over in UK, giving a giving my TED talk, I'll be sure and tell everybody. You know, okay, now go go pick up your chisel. You know, that's what yeah, I'll be man. So. I love man. I love that. I love the um, I love that whole message so much. I can't. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to read it. I can't wait to go yeah. and get a copy. Um, well, I'm nervous yeah. because you're obviously as a scholar and someone. You know, my God, you're gonna read it and go, oh, poor Jason. But it, as long, hopefully, my poor grammar and my poor sentence structure doesn't get in the way of what i do think is a badass story that's awesome man you got a badass story you're you're there that's 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 the hardest bit <laughs> um yeah that's so cool i love that message where i think um you know we i mean we don't we don't need to get into the state of the world and all that too much but um uh unless you want to but uh the uh yeah it it's it is funny how um with all the sort of almost mushrooming of all these ever greater conspiracy theories, ever greater, you know, ex boogeyman is doing this. Um, it's the big bad left or it's the big bad right wing. It's yep. the, it's these other spooky people in the top of the pyramid who are pulling all the strings and yep. they're the reason all these terrible things are happening. Uh, it's it's a I find it very very weird impulse to, you know, the conspiracy impulse is there as the the superstition, the finding patterns thing, but but the desire, almost desire, I would call it to to want there to be an external force that is really determining everything in your life. I find a very lamentable aspect of human nature to to want that or almost want it I, i'm convinced on some level it's subconscious desire to want these boogeymen are pulling all the strings and it, it really diminishes you it really diminishes the individual in a big way and and makes you very small and very powerless do you think that that's because if they were to take the the other approach uh, away from that, then they would be left with, oh, wait a minute, you mean I actually have to participate in fixing this? If there is no boogeyman, and if there are, if there's no one I can look to to save me, then that only leaves 
the person in the mirror. And that I think for, um, unfortunately for a lot of people these days, man has become the scariest thing of all is, Mm -hmm. and they just don't want to face the fact that no one, no one will ever love you as much as you have the potential to Mm -hmm. your family. Right. And that, that may sound terrible, but no one will ever be able to help you. I can't give you enough of my wealth to make you wealthy. I can't not, I can't give you enough of my acceptance to make you feel accepted. At some point you have to take it upon yourself to go. I accept who I am. I'm good with who I am. And, and, and I, not in some asshole way of going, and if you don't like it, screw you, but to say, I'm comfortable. I, I, I'm comfortable in my own skin, and I know that's a lot easier said than done. I know there's a lot of people that have a lot of history that leads to why they have these insecurities and whatever, but man, I, I, I can't help but think that, as a matter of fact, talking about writing, I've got a great idea for a short story, uh, essentially, where... Uh, I mean, I, I hate to give away the punchline, but people will probably long since forget about it if I ever decide to write this. But essentially, imagine there's generations uh, of leaders of, of uh, throughout this uh, family, and they it goes through. Let's say you started in the the early, you know, I guess it makes this maybe the early 18th century, and all of a sudden you're in the 21st century, and all of these men or women that have been uh, have taken the mantle as the leader and uh, of the family and it's they have a vast fortune let's say they're they're whatever important is whether it's financial politically who cares they're just and it's this there's it always comes down the weight falls on one person and starting back at the very beginning they know that there is a almost like a family treasure but it comes with a warning that if you decide if things get so bad if if you truly have to you know break the glass of the fire extinguisher to save the family just know it's going to come with heavy consequences it's going to come with it's going to come with more pressure it's going to come with it, it, all these just it's going to just just this huge warning right it's this enormous warning so all through the generations you know you've got one that was a leader during the um, the great depression and was able to muddle through it and never broke the glass. Then you've got another that went through the 60s and the turmoil of the Vietnam War and civil rights, and that nearly destroyed the family empire, but it's not, but they, they made it through without breaking the glass. Then finally, and then the, the story opens with this guy that's sitting at, at his desk, just wringing his hands, and finally, finally, he or she goes and says, no other choice. I've got to go and find, and it's based, let's say it's just in a, a wall safe. Let's say that all these generations have lived in the same mansion all these years, and this, it's been sitting there, it's just been like, a, like teasing them. You open it up, and what the family, what you find there, pull it out, you turn it, and it's this ornate mirror. <laughs> and oh, that's great. So, you know, you, so the, the, the again, it's up to freaking you. No, there's no savior. There's no buried treasure, man. There's no pot. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's freaking you that's got to do this. And so then you just just see the person collapse, and then the story goes on with phone calls being made, get the troops in order, and they too prevail because or it's either that or crumble, right? So anyway, yeah, that's, a, that's another book idea. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it.
Andy, you're you're good, man. You're good at you're good at a metaphor. <laughs> you should write like Aesop's fables. Well, I told you, one of your uh, your fellow alums, C.S. Lewis, man. Now that's the master of the metaphor, and I I just that I get that there was a there's a whole nother one that I I oh I used in this story that I've, I've okay, let's talk about writing practice because I want to know yours and I'm I've got to shut up. This is I'm just been a, this is kind of a lopsided conversation here, Stephen. No, I'm enjoying it, man. Um, sure. So. I I grew up on both on both sides of the proverbial tracks, the good side and the bad side. My family, my my mom and dad divorced when I was young. My dad lived on the side of the town where there were streets named after our family, including me. Uh, and uh, and then on the other side, where my mom, when they were divorced, lived was I I lived around all the kids that got free school lunch and you know their dads were they were renting their houses. They didn't own the houses, so I literally went back and forth. And the old frame house that my mom lived in was it, it had this uh, antechamber. You walked up the steps and then you walked into the this antechamber. Then you walked into the front living area. And so I used the uh, the analogy that 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 front door was very much like the wardrobe that you walked into the front of the wardrobe. But when I walked through the antechamber and into the living room. I was in a completely different world than where I had come from the week before, which was the right side of the tracks. I thought that's uh -huh. <laughs> and it's also got a pun on your name, which is good as well. There you go. Which Perfect. is that's all that's all good, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so tell me about your book as much as you can. I mean, because that's the sort of thing I would love to be able to write something contemporary. And I love like and is yours, you said it's um contemporary like drama is is mm. that is that in the vein of like the thomas crown affair thinking of a or is it uh what uh, I'd, I'd i'd more categorize it as like uh a kind of classic coming of age novel um a bit uh somewhat of a campus novel because i spent a long time at universities so i wanted it to reflect uh my life around those places and and you know it's just it's useful to write about places you know very well and you understand the lay of the land there and it's not it's not my university life but it's you know it plucks elements from everything i've seen and known and you know different different people and characters and uh yeah I, so so there's some like i mean god not that i just not i'd i'd put myself in those camps but there's some just absolutely classic campus novels written by especially in the english tradition like it's a fire is what comes to what the first one that comes <laughs> right right and um a brideshead revisited by evelyn war who wrote about oxford and um there's uh some really funny i think it's tom sharp wrote one and there's there's loads of great like english university uh stephen fry has written some funny things about uh oxford i think in his novel the liar um and it's just some really comic good moments that you can have in those and and yeah and so i wonder a bit about those early relationships that happen uh what it's like to be going through that transition period from youth to adulthood and you know it just feels like a, a rich topic that i think i'm far enough from it now to look back on it with some context and and uh objectivity so so yeah that's sort of where i'm playing now but 
it's like a long a lot of things i treat as a long experiment and i you know some experiments work and some don't and some become great passions of mine and that's how i do treat my interests and you know podcasting started as an experiment for me i've grown to love it and i do it with my brother now and it's a great bonding thing for us we have fun we get great listeners we have great conversations and it's it started as a small itch that i was just like i love radio and i love like getting to have conversations like this i did one with my friend george that was an experiment speaking generally podcast and you know he even wants to maybe do that again so we we might go and do a another series of them perhaps um but uh yeah and and this as well you know investing for me became a great passion over the last five years i started dabbling in that and got more and more and more into it and had some successes and now i it's it's an obsession of mine like i've read so many investing books and it's like one of my great passions and so so yeah writing as we spoke about last time we spoke has been there for a long time for me i think it's just it's kind of like with fiction it was like time to put up or shut up and uh i i've done short stories i've dabbled i've submitted some i got one in a no i got one like shortlisted for a competition once but like all like you know just just like nibbles here and there but nothing substantial but i think it was just it's just like well let's let's do this and if it's if it's a bad novel that's super cool anyway maybe it'll be an okay novel with some really good bits in it and maybe it'll be a good novel i don't know but there's certainly bits i really like and more and more there's like whole sections where i think like well i love that if it was all like that it'd be great but the challenge is making it all like that and and so it's just a big i call them like my elephant projects and sometimes you just have to take on an elephant project i did it with a phd that took me like four years uh ran a marathon that took me a year of training uh you know sometimes you just just find a thing and you're like this is my elephant project right now and finishing it is just some like it does something for you that stays with you for a long time like it it, it i still look back on my phd and it's not about what it got me or anything it's just there's a pride to like, man, I, that was so difficult and it took so much work and I did it and I got the degree and it really meant something. And, you know, I think some people overthink where everything has to lead to, whereas oh. sometimes it is just, it's just because it's in my heart that this will be a good thing for my soul to finish. And I care about it. And that's, that's what it is. So that's I what this is for me. I could not agree more. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about, about my brilliant business idea that we talked about before we got on today is like they're, they're just creating those moments for challenge and to see, and, and let that be the joy. And if it leads to something, that's what I said about this cheesy book that I wrote. I mean, it, the, the older I get, the less I like this book. This was my first book, Stephen Hussey. Okay. And, and you're, you're not missing anything by it. Although it does look, it makes a, makes your toilet look a lot better if you have your <laughs> or your loo and if you put it in the loo and have it sitting there beside it, it it really brightens the place up but you know for me i knew i was never going to be a bestseller that's not what i that that wasn't the the object the object was to go through the process of getting a book written and getting it published and to be able to say i'm an author i have a book out there and um and i think that more people if they would understand that then they would like for me 
that's the reason why I I went to graduate school was I th I thought there was somewhere that I was supposed to go and I had to get that credential before I could get there. I didn't really know where that that somewhere was, but you know now it's like I would never take on that. If I were going to spend that kind of time and energy, it would be on writing a book. Uh, same thing. I've thought about getting a doctorate, and it would at this point in my life be because I I want the rigor. I want to be forced into that 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 threshold of pain, you know, and then come out on the other side and go, ah, okay, I did it. I, not because I want to, you know, go go teach or something like that, but no, just it's the it's the process. And I think when you can learn to appreciate that the pruning process, the the hurt, the pain, the ups, the downs, um, then that's that's where the real magic is. And I always tell people, like I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's just only that which you pick up along the way. And, and, and a lot of that gold comes disguised as pain, heartache, struggle, things that you never thought you, that, that mile 24 of a marathon where you think there is no freaking way. Why the hell did I do this? This was dumb. But now you look back on it and you go, that is gold in your pot that you will have yeah. with you when you and I are doing this, when we're 85, you know, you'll be like, yeah, yeah. I ran that marathon. No, it's a source of something. It adds richness to you and it, it, it gives you a kind of, you know, a, I don't know, a, a repeated confidence from having done those things. It's like, I've proved I can do difficult things and yeah. I've done difficult things. I wrote a book with my brother when I was 23 and that was really difficult. And that proved to me that that was, you know, um, are, are there things I would go back and change about that book now? Sure. I'm sure there would be things I would do differently. Um, I'm sure there's things we'd both, you know, edit and things like that if we could, but like, that was our, that was our full effort at the time. And that was great. And it, it was a great thing. And so many people have, have read that and it was cool. And yeah, it's like, everything doesn't need this grand strategy behind it sometimes you are making strategic moves because you know you're good at something and you double triple down because you're like hey i'm this is i'm doing good here but um yeah it's uh it's it's more of a confidence building thing and it you know there's things i drop as well there's some things i get obsessed with them for like three months and i realize like i'm not really good enough at this to be obsessed. <laughs> like right. i'm not loving this as much anymore and like like i really enjoy playing chess but like I'm not a great chess player and I learn about the game. I play it for fun, but there was a point where I realized I can only be so obsessed with this because I'm actually not good enough about it to get so excited. Like it's like, yeah, yeah I, I, there's a limit because like, you know, there's only so much I can play something and feel like I'm not really making that much progress. And so there's, there's kind of, sometimes I will just go on and uh, yeah, it's like, that's the next month binge on this. Um, and I do it with books as well. So, and some things I haven't, some things have given me amazing benefits later that the payoff was not immediate, but like, I will just chew if there'll be a topic where it's like, I don't know why, but I want to get like, I want to read about physics and I get, I, I will buy like five books on physics at the same time. And, and Tyler Cowen has talked about doing this himself. He's kind of like a polymath mm -hmm. and, um, a very wide ranging knowledge and economist sort of a libertarian economist at George Mason university. But he says, if you're interested in the topic, get like a stack of books on it because you kind of almost want it to feel a bit more like a buffet. 
and see what you respond to, see what you enjoy. Maybe it's a history of art or you want to read about, yeah, I, I, I now want to learn a lot about China and got a bunch of books on China, just all different bits, the economy, the history, the culture, the whatever. Cause I'm just like, I want to sponge. It's a, is a big, important country. It has huge standing in the world. I want to understand it a bit more. I want to like have a bit more grasp on it. And, and, so I just go on like a binge of that and just like, okay, this month, I'm this two months, I'm obsessed with China and just want to learn about it. And so, but those things have always had some kind of tangential payoff, um, either in, it gives me new knowledge to bring to other things I do, sometimes applying one piece of knowledge to another field or an, an insight. Uh, when I speak on stage, I'll have so much more to draw from, so much more knowledge I'll have literature, I'll have history, I'll have science, and it it all adds to part of it. Or having done physical things means that, well, I'm not just talking as an academic intellectual. I've also rode at Oxford. I've done marathons, been in a team for this. And so I've got understanding of what it means to physically push yourself. And, and you know, I know some of your work is about being well-rounded. And, you know, you, you know and I, I don't think, I think some people get a little, um, they think, oh, but, but, but don't you just do one, focus on just one thing and be an expert and just drill and that's your thing. And I think the age of the generalist is actually having quite a comeback, Yeah, I think. And, and uh, I know this is, seems a bit all over the place, but I, did, it, I think it's related to this is where people think like, you have to pick your lane, do your thing, nail that down, become the king of the niche and just conquer that niche and and sure there's times like look if you're trying to grow a youtube channel sometimes it can be helpful to just be the i'm the weightlifting guy right. i am the card trick guy i'm the guy who does <laughs> uh i don't know who, who talks about chinese stocks or whatever maybe it like helps to be the one thing person that i get it I, i've been in that field and understand that game but but when you're thinking about yourself as a person I think that the generalist has so many th ways they can, things they can, tools they can bring to bear on different problems and different areas and ways of they can change their hat they're wearing to think in a different way, to bring a humanities perspective. Sometimes I bring a data perspective because I understand data as well because I've studied economy, uh, economics and econometrics and statistics and I I do understand those things. And sometimes I understand the rationalist approach to it. So I can think about business in a very rationalist strategic way because I understand concepts of rationality and, hey, are we in status quo bias here? Are we in confirmation bias? Are we doing all these things and new ways of thinking? So everything comes to bear. And I've found all of it in my career has built towards different skills, blogging, gives me the skills, taught me how to write to be read well, which academia does not always teach you. Uh, academia does not always teach you how to engage people in your writing and blogging does. So you learn some tricks from that. So, so anyway, long story short, I found following my little weird curiosities and obsessions, even if sometimes they're dropped after one achievement or finishing one part, I always find they, they carry forward and add something to the tool belt I have. I could not agree 
more with anything you just said. And you also kind of make me, maybe it's confirmation bias, but you make me feel good because I feel like I'm the ultimate generalist at this point in my life. And, <laughs> and, you know, and a lot of the reason why is because like what I find myself, a great example. So I mentioned the, the uh, uh, inventing Anna the documentary, whatever docudrama. And I was talking to Jemlin the other, the other day and I said, you know, I know not every, but I know most and definitely enough ways to make a crap ton of money. I know exactly how to do it. I know how to go do it tomorrow. And none of it interests me because I think that, um, I think two points I want to make about what you said. I, for me, doing something purely for the sake of a, I guess, a reward, whatever that looks like, monetary or otherwise, just isn't worthwhile for me anymore. Now, granted, there's some things that I have, there's some sacrifices I made in my life to be able to have that attitude, but I think most of us could have that attitude if we really, really got serious about it. But nevertheless, uh, I don't care about just doing that one lane thing, because if you do that, what what's the reward they'll say well but we have a house in aspen and and we go to saint bart's every summer and we do you know it's like okay what what if i told you you could save yourself all that money and find all that joy peace and happiness right at home and, and it's one of the things that jimlin and i we consider ourselves very blessed i told her the day i said the cool thing about it is it doesn't matter if we go to saint bart's or if we go to aspen or we're in boulder wherever fill in the blank wherever we go there we are and it's just the scenery changes our happiness and our joy and our thrill is right here in tyler texas and we take that to beautiful places that yeah. offer some temporary decoration and it's the same thing with projects it's like and i love being well-rounded now i want you to there's there was a quote i just read man and it makes me say i hate even I, I you know this audience will hear it and audience please us i'm not quoting this as um as an elitist or anything of that nature but going back to talking about the people that they believe that, that their whole life is dictated by outside forces there was a quote by someone that said uh, and you may know who it is said either the the more i know or the more intelligent i get the lonelier i become I can't remember. It was some. It wasn't an intellectual. It was some leader, thought leader, of some kind. And I and I thought about that, and you know, man, when I I I feel that way, but it's not because I can sit down with Stephen Hussey and and have a decent conversation about literature. I mean, you you could you know take off and leave me any time, but I can at least kind of make it interesting and and sound like I know what I'm talking about. Or and I know economics and I know those that has nothing to do with it. What I find is the the more i realize of what doesn't matter in life and what really does matter and what really brings joy and fulfillment and and in in scratches my itches the lonelier i am because i'm surrounded on a daily basis by these people god bless them they're just living their lives they don't they just they think that well i've got a I've got the Mercedes, you know, S class and the country club membership and we go skiing every spring break and Christmas morning. Wow. You should see it. And so I don't, why would I, why would I read, you know, something that they made me read when I was in school? Why would I right. do that? <laughs> it's like, well, because maybe if you did enough of that, or maybe if you just 
started journaling and that led to a blog and that led to a book. And you were so occupied with taking these inner feelings that start to stir, then you save a hell of a lot of money and you might find a lot more wealth and fulfillment in that just sitting with a pen and a notebook and writing and having an amazing cup of coffee, you know, just savoring these little bitty, almost, you know, just cost nothing little things in life. Um, and I find myself like I, we, Jim and I went to a beautiful cocktail party the other night. It was just over the top. This house was gorgeous, man. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I mean, I'm, and the conversations going around were like, what you, anything you'd expect. We're talking about the oil and gas industry and inflation and, you know, this, that, and the other, and pointing out all the gorgeous artifacts around the house. And I'm just going, anybody here want to talk about the last really good book they read or how they're managing their insulin levels? <laughs> hey, anybody <laughs> want to talk about battling <laughs> insulin resistance, you know? And so anyway, and I don't say that saying I'm better than anybody. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, in fact, I, I just think that I've just been able to get in touch with something kind of like what, um, again, C.S. Lewis, which, by the way, one of my favorite parts of Surprised by Joy is when C.S. Lewis wrote of his um, primary education and, and his, his coming of age, when he wrote about that in the traditions at school. And I think he did include some of his uh, the traditions at Oxford. My favorite part of the book, Surprised by Joy, but the thing I love about that book is he described exactly what I'm saying. It's like you pursuing your PhD, you pursuing a marathon, investing, you just going after these things. If you were pursuing happy the way we have taught most of the people over here on this side of the pond how to do it, you would be pursuing how to make a lot of money and go to the coolest places. But really, and, and that's pursuing happiness and happiness isn't a thing. It's not a destination. What'll happen is you'll be doing something when you least expect it. And it, it, it's, it often hides itself as just drudgery, but then all of a sudden the joy or the happiness will sneak up on you. You go, huh, I mean, where'd you come from? You know? yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and so that's, that's the sort of thing, man, that, that, that the improve always and always is the motto of my show. And the reason why, I focus so much on doing the things we're talking about, just taking on different interests and making myself more well-rounded and, and, and just better is because I think a better me leads for leads to a better community. And if I'm happier and I'm better at being me, then hopefully that'll, that fruit of that will spill over and make me better to help my fellow man. And maybe they'll go, dude, you sure do seem happy. Well, you got, you got something, what, what are you doing? And I'll go, Hey, let me tell you, brother, come here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's what, it's one of the underrated powerful things you can do is when, if you can be an example to people and, and sometimes I haven't even been aware of, uh, not that, you know, I, I don't go around, um, acting joyful all day, but I, uh, you you know, I do, um, you don't skip. You don't skip. (laughs) Yeah. I often have the opposite problem where people always think I'm not in a good mood because I have a very sort of, I have a very sort of blank expression a lot of the time, but, um, I, uh, I, I will be like having done something challenging or difficult and I will not know about it, but like my cousin will say, 
oh it's i find it's really inspirational when you do you you do these things like starting a youtube channel or doing a podcast or you ran a marathon or she said like when you get involved just go into these things and you just do them and she said it like inspires me to create more or to make things or to just go for it because you know i'm just like an ordinary guy and just you know pursue the things that i like to do and and you know it's it's just you don't know who you're inspiring when you take those leaps yep yep and yeah people go oh oh man i guess maybe that's possible like maybe it's possible to do that or you suddenly travel somewhere exciting and people think maybe i can travel somewhere exciting on my own as well like steve just did that maybe i maybe uh i'm i'm that kind of person as well so you do never know who you're inspiring and uh you know you, you did you ever read uh did we talk about condeed last time by the novel by voltaire no maybe no. not there's a great like you know not not spoil the punchline but there's a great sort of the the final thing in that is like condeed goes through all these uh he goes out into the world and with this mentor dr pangloss and dr pangloss is kind of condeed's uh, it's a satire but it's kind of his mockery his mocking of a certain kind of philosopher who is at the time was the the very hyper rationalist philosopher who was uh thought they could perfect the world and and through pure philosophy you can create the perfect you know world and it was very like idealistic and and pangloss would always tell him this is the best of all possible worlds um and condide would go through this this book and he just sees the just one horror after another just like war violence like rape and and just like you know he just all these calamities before him and his his group and and he just goes out into the world and just sees like man the, the horror outside your <laughs> doorstep <laughs> and there's disease or there's all these things and you know they they kind of toward to, to the end of the novel it's kind of like they're asking the question like what can you put your what do you put your hope in then is it is it politics is mm. it that religion will save you is it that um some other you know divine force or or science or whatever and you know it kind of gets reduced to he says we must tend to our own garden <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of punchline is like no you're not listening we gotta tend to our own garden because that's what we can control that's what we can you know and there's a kind of there's a kind of comic cynicism in that because it's a satire but it, it is ultimately saying that's that's what we that's what you can do that's right that's right and 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 there's and there's so many people man that get so angry if you if you even suggest such a thing wait a minute how dare you like like um oh what was his the admiral that did the famous um <clears throat> commencement speech at ut <clears throat> in austin not a few, a few years ago that became the chancellor he said you know the first thing you should do every morning is get up and make your bed you know jordan peterson make your bed you know just start there and what does your room look like what does your home look like how's your family life get that in order then you can go change the world but the thing is you're actually changing the world the fruit of that will spill over and i i think that a lot of people lose sight of that brother i just and, it, and again it doesn't make you selfish or self-centered you don't become freaking you know um i and ran because you decide mm -hmm. that you know hey I, i'm gonna 
I'm taking care of me, so I'm better suited to take care of you. You know, that's why they tell us when we're on an airplane, hey, put your mask on first so that you can help those around you. You know, it's kind of the same as well, right? I think people underestimate what that, that, that's it. I think people get confused and they, and they underestimate what it means for your ability to serve and provide for others and help when you, when you do feel you're operating at your best, when you're feeling abundant when you're at that these are all the stages when you're at your best and often your kindest as well it's it's hard to be kind and generous if you feel embittered and angry and frustrated it's very hard to give that off to other people absolutely um, absolutely all right well when can we when are when am i going to be able to read your book what's your um, writing, what's your writing process where are you in the process and are you is it a daily habit have you are you putting your ass in the seat honestly honestly this is 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 pretty um messy pretty lumpy in terms of their stages of great productivity and then stages of of um nothing moving and so i think there is a plan to get the draft done by you know some point this year to to really have a draft and and have something to just hand off and not you know not let it expand forever i think i think it just needs a cutoff point where it's like here's Yep. So, so perhaps with my uh, writing colleague, Michelle, we'll choose a date and say, this is a, you know, this is the time to call it and, and at least have something to go and show to some pros and get some, you know, I've got, I guess I've got a couple of contacts now who are in the industry and the book industry who will at least look at it. So I've at least got, they'll at least read it and give me some thoughts and, and that would be useful uh, really useful in and of itself so so i think that'll be the next steps yeah but um but we'll we'll see you know after that maybe that'll be it for fiction or maybe it'll be the start i, I don't know i'm 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 pretty open speaking on my portfolio of bets I'm, I'm pretty open to what it is at the moment and writing is such a is actually a good time you know writing is not always especially lucrative but it is a very good time to be able to have so many different ways to be a writer now and and Absolutely. like you say substack if you want to write blogs on medium like substack there are some people just getting paid on substack just to write newsletters yeah. and they they say hey i'm just gonna say this is 10 bucks a month and or yeah. five bucks a month and if you want it this is what it is and, and sometimes you are just like i've just been like I like this person enough. Like I'm, I'm game. Like, okay. Five bucks a month. Like where before could a writer have charged anyone five bucks a month for just their, their stuff. And, and uh, yeah, you've got to prove yourself still in a competitive world, but it's better than the world where you can't just put your ebook out there or you can't just, you could promote yourself now on YouTube. You can write blogs. You can do many, many different things and self-publish and, so I think it's a good, it's a good world in terms of like, if one form doesn't work for you, there might be a different form that works much better, or there might be a different style and, you know, uh, a way of doing it. So, so yeah, I'm pretty open to playing with a lot of different things at the moment. And I'm thinking of doing even some solo podcasts where I might just read out things I've been, you know, great idea, like man. It's a great idea. short essays or short you know things like that i think would be super fun to do like short essays on different topics and and there's a guy called david white who's a poet um yeah. who wrote a book called consolations that um he was featured on sam harris's podcast recently but he's been in a couple of others as well and he he does these almost like discursive essays on a concept like 
ambition or disappointment or purpose or and he and he almost just unpacks what that concept is and and you know how to think about it and stuff and and just things like that are really creative and interesting ways you can go so so yeah it's it's a good time to be a an author in that way and and um yeah and that and then the the reading practice is part and parcel of that so i'm i'm always trying to I'm trying to keep that train always going to make sure that the new input is coming in because I do, Stephen King has said this, but I do just believe it's, it's really hard to write anything. It's really hard to write if you don't read a lot. It's really, really hard. You know, you recommended uh, if you want, I think it was um, one of your videos, you recommended Stephen King's on writing uh, if you mm -hmm. want to be a writer. And I grabbed that. Uh, I started a week ago. And it is phenomenal. I don't, I've read, I read the Institute here recently. Frankly, I didn't care for it that much. I haven't read a lot of Stephen King, but I do appreciate his unbelievable, um, just how prolific of a writer he is. And then to read about his upstart, you know, he starts on writing with kind of how he got started and the struggle and how hard he worked. And then whenever he sold Carrie and what that was for him and, uh, and then just, his attitude toward writing, I think, is it, it is a job. You have to treat it like a job. And and then yeah. an, another thing to your point, first of all, I think the the essays is a fantastic idea. I've actually done a couple of audio essays and they're so fun. It's just and, and here's what I did, and this is what I would encourage you to do, because one, you have that wonderful British dialect, and you could get some like get some cool, even go to Fiverr maybe and get an illustrator mm -hmm. to do some cool images that just kind of come in and out of the screen that that tie into the essay that you're reading i think you could use that as the as the video content then you could also have podcast content and then you could also you know write it you know you know put it out somewhere in print and that's one of the things i've told abby who we mentioned my youngest that wants to be a uh, writer she writes for the university of colorado newspaper and she was like you know i'm trying to build my portfolio and it's so hard and i said well hey remember one piece of content can be repurposed three four times i said you, you take that whatever as long as they'll allow you write the one thing but then submit it to the freaking boulder chamber of commerce submit it to some other reading the the boulder public library they probably have a newsletter submit it everywhere get published just get out there and so i think that's a in the audio essays that i've done there because a lot of times i just i want to tell the story and i want to play with audio and, and that sort of thing so I think that's a fantastic idea i love your videos as a matter of fact i will go to them to try to figure out because you keep it very um very concise i think you do them you 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 do a good job of not over creating and where it's, it has an authentic feel but yet you you have enough you're obviously have better editing skills than me because you can you can move your frames quickly and i don't know your messages are concise and and good and it's always good information so uh, i encourage you to keep that up steven i really do thanks man yeah i um i did really enjoy that and and would like to uh, put out more it's just just quite time uh big time sync doing videos wow. but i do enjoy it and i i yeah i'd certainly like to um to get processes under for that because i i like doing it it's uh 
Yeah, I, I think concision is quite important to me when I'm trying to communicate an idea. And I always feel like, I, I, for better or worse, I always think I can't make this 25 minutes. Like this, like that's that's I, I can't do that. You know, ask people to sit there for 20 minutes. So I yeah, maybe if I felt like I had a grand grand idea to really chew on, but I am always trying to trying to slim down to like um, the essence of something. But but yeah, no, I've had good feedback on those. So I'd like to do it more. I've been doing more of my brother on his channel as well. And just practice, you know, I, it took me so long to get even half good on video and speaking. It, it's it's very humbling how when you actually do something that it seems so natural when you see other people do it, just getting comfortable with literally looking at the lens of a camera, how long that took me. Yeah. to be able to sit there and talk to a camera on my own it's it's crazy you you think you're going to be able to and then your first time and it's it's weird you feel like you got it wrong you didn't sound like you it's it's a real shedding of the ego having oh, to do those things it is it, well it's a shedding of the ego and it's also getting over the fact that at least for me is the thought of people on the other side of the camera thinking you must be an egomaniac for even doing it to begin with. <laughs> I think that's worse for me because right. I'm like, I really don't, I, I don't care about this part of it. What I have to overcome is the, you know, everyone around me, they're like, but again, to your point, they're for at least the people that, you know, might be other going, who the hell does Jason think he is doing a podcast, all those things? I mean, what, 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 you know, most people in Tyler aren't doing that, you know, for every one of those, most people are going, Hey, like we were at that cocktail party. And there was some lady I'd never met said, I love listening to your podcast. I'm like, well, thank you. I'm mean, just so gracious. And because I want them to know, Hey, I don't do it because I'm thinking I'm that great. I just stuff I like to talk about. And this is what I like to do. But that's the thing I have a hard time getting over is the, not whether people will like it or not. I'm old enough now that it's like, I know some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to give a damn. What I really don't want though, is for people to on the other side to go, who the hell does this arrogant guy think he is? It's that that's the hump that I really had to, to, to get over in my content. But I, I love your videos. I, I want you to start hammering those things out, go batch some, just go spend a day doing them because they're good, man. And you, you, it's i think we're kindred spirits in that there's so many things we want to do and we're and by god's grace we're able to do them um mm -hmm. and it's it makes it really hard to just go hammer out a lot of volume in one thing and get it there um but yeah. dude i'm glad that you're 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 producing one. i cannot wait to get a hold of your book um uh, i want and i'm i'm probably I can't imagine the the amount of emails and stuff you get, but I'm probably gonna start nudging you a little bit to go, hey, and Lamont, three inches, put a little frame on your desk. All you need is three inches today, buddy. Just go right to three inches. And yeah, uh, that'll be useful. I I want to, I will be happy to to be that for you. And oh, one thing, and we dude, we always come in thinking that we're gonna talk about something and then we just kind of go off the rails, you know. <laughs> So I, I love yeah this. sure this is so fun but i know you want to talk about reading a bit i don't know but we can put a pin in that you can we can wh whatever you want well i was going to ask you something even more highbrow than um than literature so hmm. you and matthew are, are are have kind of carved a space in the relationship expert game you know people look to you for advice did you watch this season of the bachelor 
Oh, I didn't know. Was well, there? Did well, I? Did I miss something special? Well, well, no, of course not. It's The Bachelor. Um, but so here's the thing. That, okay, so Abby, the one I keep talking about, this the rider in Colorado. Since we were stuck together for a week, me taking care of her from for her torn ACL. I did watch the end of The Bachelor this season because she loves to watch it. It's her guilty pleasure. And man, this dude that was on there this year told three different women, I mean, in almost in, well, two for sure, after having sex with them, that he loved them. It was almost like he repeated from one to the next. I was like, that must be the worst Bachelor ever. So anyway, wow. you spared yourself. So we won't have to go into your analysis of how that dude did, how he does relationship wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd avoid I'd avoid telling two women you love them um, within oh. within an episode. <laughs> within so, so look, man, I, I got even sucked into it, Stephen. So he goes on and he's like, tells this one girl he's in love with her, and so then you know you watch the next date and you're like oh man, what's he going to do? Because I mean, he said he's in love with the other one. And then it's almost verbatim, the exact same little I I'm in love with you speech to the second one. And I told, I mean, both Abby and I were like, no way, that guy did not just do what he did. And yeah, he was, it was interesting. And then, and then the one girl that walked out on him because when she found out he had had sex with the other two, she's like, I'm sorry, I just, I'm out. She ended up coming back and they're together now, so there you go wow yeah so from yeah, Volta, well, there's, a, there's another good bachelor. reason there's another good reason uh like i said earlier that uh passion and confidence are very charismatic and it's the same with effusions of love it, it yeah. plays to some kind of a thing we want um romantically but there's a difference between what's you know what you want to hear in that moment and maybe what's healthy to hear but people hear oh, he fell in love with me after one night like what a passionate you know yeah. it must be real but but those are the ones that are often the relationships to bet against yeah yeah i would say so okay yes we need to have you back on to to talk books but i did but i can't let you go without at least uh give me let me try to categorize these i told you i'm reading don quixote and enjoying the hell out of it by the way kind of like that voltaire book it kind of reminds me you know uh uh don and sancho sancho's kind of like the rational one going hey i think you're missing something and and you know don quixote has this idealistic view of himself as this right right, right. and and his, and yet his stupid aide basically is like going yeah no just give me my island and get the you keep come on let's just get this over with but then but give me three like a classic a contemporary read that it would be good mm -hmm. right now because like, i think we've got similar tastes and then just a wild card that i should put in the library and read before we get together again okay um so a classic i would say what's really worth the um so like do you mean like a big like a big classic like a something, long novel or just yeah something that's going to challenge like i told you i wanted to get into a crime and punishment well we didn't but if it's if it's some tolstoy i mean to not to do another russian writer but just it's something dense i have never read any jane austen i've never read sense and sensibility or jane Eyre or any of those um if there's a dickens i told you great expectations is my favorite of course those are not quite as dense but just a classic yeah. that i need to get my hands on 
I would say. Or maybe we should both just read Moby Dick since you said you're about to read that. Oh, no, that one. No, I have read Moby Dick. The one I haven't read was. Um... Oh, that's right. You said you just wanted to read. Um... That, yeah, uh, I want to read more of the big Dickens books like yeah. Bleak House. Um, I, I, there was a, I do, I mean, I've told you before, like my like apex of kind of literary classics might be Ulysses by James Joyce. I bought it after our conversation. So. That, that is an extremely challenging read. Um, it is full of comedy and great, uh, great moments but it's uh it's kind of such a you know it was the birth of modernism that book mm -hmm. in terms of its more um parts of it are in different voices in different characters heads and it's a complex book um the thing i'd say about the, the some of those like some real I, I find there's so much taste in some of those because some really speak to people and they love them. Like, I love Ulysses. I know some big readers who it doesn't do so much for them. Right. And I know some who... I, I got a lot out of Moby Dick. I know some people just, just couldn't take chapters and chapters about descriptions right. of a whale. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, and then some people, I did not... In, I do not really enjoy the writing of David Foster Wallace. And some people see David Foster Wallace as the second coming of Christ. I don't and get okay, I was That's interesting. Real quick. <laughs> I, I'm glad you said that because I, that's one of those books for, okay, you're an actual scholar. I'm just a typical reader out here that I picked up Infinite Jest and I'm like, I don't get it. And I feel stupid in the way it's structured. I mean, it's not typical mm. chapters. And I'm like, and I just couldn't, man. But I mean, it's still there. And it's like one of the, it's like my marathon read. I want to do it. I'm glad to hear you say yeah that. i i found it um i i've read the more i've read a bunch of david foster wallace i don't i think his non-fiction is better than his fiction i think some of his essays are definitely worthy of you know that they, they have some great bits in them um i just it's just the whole aesthetic is not my aesthetic i don't i find it overwritten i find great. it um long-winded i i find the um there's a kind of what what is it uh i find it's like there's there's certainly a virtuosity to the the writing and and certainly i'm not going to say he's like a bad you know objective bad writer he he certainly has some virtuosic sentences and things like that but i don't i i think there's a a complete sort of emotional void there and i think his characters are have nothing to them essentially to me and i find the insights are very thin yeah. and so i'm i like books for like i think harold bloom talks about criteria for literary merit being like aesthetic beauty cognitive insight and i think he said something like wisdom mm -hmm. and i just don't find a lot of wisdom in david foster wallace and i find the wisdom that people do pluck from it seems to be fairly long-winded ways of saying fairly trite things that yeah, I are like that are, i think are fairly mundane when you break it down yeah and and i just think this sounds like a sort of undergraduate like quote but that's my view that's my aesthetic uh, it's not i think the journalistic stuff has more merit to it that i find I, I think there's more to that but it's just totally not my aesthetic and i i do like concision more i like economy of i like ideas and you know, I'm, uh, well, very different writers, but like 
a poetic writer who I think speaks great truths is like Cormac McCarthy, who yes, I I, I think there's like it, it feels like he has like ancient wisdom in some of his books, like right. uh, like you know Blood Meridian or All the Pretty Horses or any of the Border Trilogy or or Sutri or you know there, there's just there's so much power and lyricism in him. I, I think that man should have a Nobel Prize if anyone should for for literature. It's it's quite unbelievable what he's made and and created. And uh, you know, I don't mind writing being classics being offbeat. Like Gravity's Rainbow is is a crazy book. Um, it's uh it's massive and it's like a thousand pages and yeah. Thomas Pynchon and. Thomas Pynchon actually has a much smaller book that some people like a lot more called The Crying of Lot 49, which is very funny. But Gravity's Rainbow is this kind of huge epic. And that, again, is like, I enjoyed... Gravity's Rainbow has some jaw-dropping writing, um, but I enjoyed it, but I I struggle to recommend it because it's it's such a difficult to penetrate book. Whereas something like... Yeah, like, um, like... So, like... Crime and Punishment you mentioned you've read you know I think that is a I, I I do think that is a great work and I I really love some of the philosophical debate in that I I actually kind of prefer that to the Brothers Karamazov which really the Brothers Karamazov is some people see that as Dostoevsky's masterpiece but I think I did hear Nabokov say he liked Crime and Punishment more and I, I think I do too um but but I can but maybe crime and punishment is one of those ones that's so embedded in the consciousness in some ways that we've become a bit kind of yeah numb to its themes yeah of like Good redemption point. and guilt and mm-hmm. all these kind of things he was struggling with at the time like the fight against nihilism and yep. Yep. if if you know if man doesn't have god then can he do what he will and all these different kinds of big questions he was wrestling with but um I I like Dostoevsky's understanding of people and character. And I feel like, say, unlike Foster Wallace, I feel he has a very rich uh, understanding of characters and people like Dickens, um, Shakespeare, obviously. Uh, Shakespeare's characters may be the most unrivaled in all of literature for their their three-dimensionalness, their realness, and their their complete human beings, you know? Um, So... You know, if 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 you don't want to go and read a big novel, just go and read, uh, you know, King Lear or Hamlet or or any of those great tragedies, Shakespearean tragedies. There's just so much, so much richness and life in there of like human folly and, uh, yeah, yeah, hu- what human a, folly. What about uh, Hunter S. Thompson? Have you ever read any? I have not read one of his books. Um, should I? Uh, Sure. Yeah, I I do. Um, I do like Hunter S. Thompson. I I like. I think, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think he did become a little bit of a caricature of himself, yep. and and became a bit maybe a bit of a broken record of of kind of stuck in a certain time and place. But um, but fear and loathing is a kind of it was a kind of important step in a certain kind of a certain kind of journalism, a certain kind of, it's so influential in yeah. terms of the way journalists put themselves in their stories after that. And the way it's not really even about 
the story he went to cover it's more about the journey there and right yeah and and so i think yeah i think that is his kind of masterpiece and he has some other you know some other fun stuff to read he's not he's not like one of my like people that i look at as a touchstone but i do like him um i like uh i like Brett Easton Ellis for some of his kind of I love um, Brett Easton Ellis. I mean, if yeah. I just like I will still read American Psycho just for entertainment. Just I mean, even though I've read him, it just just for a laugh. I mean, I love yeah. now have have you read uh White? Is that the one that he wrote that was a uh, Trump? Right. That was the nonfiction one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I haven't read that. like he's more like controversial yeah. side, but um, but I find him fun that he has like strong opinions <sighs> and it's fun to kind of like see that he doesn't care and he's just got strong views on stuff. And it's the the thing is he it's like he's very he's very self aware you know I think that that's what I, I think because you would see him in the 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 circle of friends of like a Patrick Bateman or possibly being one of the rich kids that was friends in less than zero you know, and he's and he can laugh at he knows again it's about being able to write those characters with with such authenticity not not um, lionizing them but showing their faults and how stupid they are, but also why they're the way they are and why so many just normal people in everyday life think those people have it all together and why they're what we should be aspiring to. I don't know. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's a great that. like, I feel like he doesn't moralize, but he like shows you. Yeah, and it's yeah just, exactly. Yeah. It, and it's I like that detached sort of vibe when I, I don't like. Yeah, I don't like novels that are trying to give me a social message or a uh, particular thing but i like i don't mind if they show me things sure. but but um yeah and so i do uh i do i do like his aesthetic a lot i um actually to answer your original question big classic novel i do i i'd probably say like anna karenina is a really good one okay i, I think that i think that tolstoy anna karenina i think I that has so much of a so much of human life and folly and family and the complexity of love and i think that that has a lot of richness in it and is my favorite i've read of tolstoy um so yeah i think i think anna karenina could be a good choice if there's like a big meaty classic you want to read yeah. um yeah and uh contemporary there's i i'd i think um there's so many people doing like there's people doing interesting stuff contemporary fiction right now i think i did read all of uh nearly i've got the last one to read uh carl ove canalsgaard who is like a very big literary sensation uh he wrote this six volume book six volume series of book called my struggle and wow it it was a it became like this project that just expanded and it just became about his entire life and different parts of his life and he hell of a title <laughs> hell of a title yeah he, he wrote it almost as a mock, he, he, he wrote it as a parody of yeah. uh mine mine camp just just that. using the the title as a jumping off and and uh but he almost wanted the joke of it being like grandiose in that way but it's it becomes like a it's a rawly honest he's so i mean it, it estranged a lot of his family because he was so uh honest in it and See. That's his dad at a funeral would probably do that to me. Myself. Right. There you go. His, his, his one, not his dad, one of his, his uncle, like didn't want to ever speak to him again. And it caused 
but but it was a sensation in Norway. I think one of every 10 people in Norway had read it at one wow. point or whatever. And then it's expanded to the world and he became a big sensation. And so uh it, that that book, you don't need to read all of them, but like I found book two. Book yeah. two is called A Man in Love. You don't have to read them in any order because they're different. They're, they're, they're standalone, different parts of his life. But um, A Man in Love, I thought was great because it's really about him having this guilt and struggle of domesticity, his domestic life, mm-hmm. his relationship with his wife. He's desperate to be a writer. He's in a foreign place in Sweden where he feels the people are different. And it's really like him. It's the story of him meeting his wife and also him going through this struggle of desperately wanting literary success which he really did but also trying to trying to sort of balance his life and and uh i found it really really good um yeah and then um is there anything really good recently i think that one's um, gonna be an inspiration for me to do the book that we were talking about that one's cool yeah I'll ch- i would check that out as yeah. a as a next one and then there's yeah there's there's a bunch of interesting people at the moment i think like uh, someone called Lisa Halliday wrote a great book called Asymmetry. Uh, Sally Rooney has some good stuff. Um, yeah, there's there's some there's some interesting people right now. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's a good list. I'm going to get in on it. I'm definitely going to grab those. I'll, I'll finally read Ulysses since you recommended it last time. I bought it the day, right when we got off the podcast. I still haven't done it. But there's a movie I want to recommend to you if you have not seen it. Coda. The one that's it's the little, the little independent film about the uh, deaf family that one the one daughter is not hearing impaired and she it's it's and again what made me think about it is like you talking about a social sermon you can't hardly watch a movie these days where they're not trying to there's not an axe to grind or trying to convince you you should take some view this one does none of that it's just a great story um, good acting good story coda totally recommend it i think you can watch it on apple i think and it's up for like three academy awards which again amazes me that an actual good movie that people want to watch would be nominated for an academy award very outside the box for those folks awesome uh that's cool i've just seen that i've just looked it up that looks great no it's i'd love to watch that you like it Good, good i mean smart humor touching story not over the top and there as a father of daughters there is one scene with the main character and her father and you'll probably know which one when, I, when you get to it what i'm talking about may be one of the best father child scenes i've ever seen in a movie wow and it's it's just and it's again not overdone it's just sweet it's tender it's it's awesome so there you go there's a there's a movie recommendation for you that's great, man. Looking forward to that. Did you watch Dune? Which one? Dune? No, 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 no. I did not. I thought Should that I? was great. That was one yeah. of the. That was definitely one of the like films I enjoyed the most okay. in cinema last year. Okay. Uh, really enjoyed that. Yeah. I got so. I'll be honest. I got so jaded with everything that was coming out that was you know contemporary. That I started going back and watching st- old stuff. Introduced because Jimlin was not a movie watcher. And as a matter of fact, right. she had never seen less than zero, never would have even thought about it. And she loved that movie. I said, I said, I want to show you why Robert Downey Jr. is such an incredible actor. <laughs> I'm like, 
that was art inter, uh, um, imitating reality. He was really stoned and high and look how awesome he does in this. It was just, <laughs> so she, she like, she got, and she really enjoyed it, which kind of surprised me, but, uh, anyway, so, um, that's cool, man. Yeah. Movies have, they've had a dodgy couple of years. I think there's some good, some great ones get squeaked through there, but yeah, I think the last two years, I don't think it's been very strong. It's just all, I mean, it seems like that. like, it's weird. I, we just watched one too. That was pretty, pretty well done, uh, that you might want to check out, uh, deep water. Um, uh, it's a Hulu movie that Ben Affleck is in. Um, it, it was pretty, a pretty good thriller. They did a, they did a nice job. I thought the ending was a little trite, but it was worth it. And Ben Affleck's one of those actors that I generally avoid his movies because in real life, I think he's kind of douchey, but, mm -hmm. I, but, I, but, I, but yet I'm always surprised at how good of an actor he is. So it's like, yeah, I got to give it to the guy. He's pretty freaking talented. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's, yeah. there's another one for you. Uh, you know, if you ever want just some, you know, poorly educated uh, American to come on and, and, and talk. I, I'm in. For instance, I'm with George. I still wear, when Jim Lim will let me, blousy boxers. That's how much of a <laughs> listener I am, my friend. <laughs> I wear huge You know, you know George's, George's underwear. <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> So um yeah awesome well we we'd love to have you when we uh when we get back started I'll definitely let you know but uh yeah we'll uh we'll definitely keep in touch and um awesome oh also Elena Ferrante she's great your listeners might enjoy um yeah Elena Ferrante wrote a super great set of novels uh, called the Neapolitan novels they're really excellent as well um yeah so uh so there you go Brother, this has been this has been a blast for me. I hope it's been as fun for you. If it's even been a, this much as fun, I then you've had a good day. I've loved it, man. I love getting to catch up with you. Well, um, likewise, take care of yourself, man. And you're always welcome. If there's anything I can do to help with any project that you've got going on, man, please let me know. Cool, man. And and yeah, your listeners can go uh, check out the YouTube channel. I'll add more to it. Just uh, YouTube, Stephen Hussey, or um at Stephen H. Hussey on Instagram, or you can go Love Life Podcast that I uh, host with my brother, Matthew. So Love Life Podcast with Matthew Hussey. Well, and I'm going to keep crashing your lives, but from now on, I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, hey, you should be riding. So, <laughs> so just get ready. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Let me, let me do a little sign off here and I'll tell you goodbye properly in just a sec. Hey folks, thank you so much for joining Stephen Hussey and I on the Jason Wright Show. If you are watching this on YouTube, please do me a favor, go out and click subscribe, put some comments in, get the algorithms going, get a conversation going, and I would greatly appreciate that. Also, if you are listening to the podcast, please leave a five-star rating. That really helps us go up in the rankings. And don't forget, you can go out to jasonrightnow.com and subscribe to the Vitruvian Letter. That is just my little repository of where I'm talking about all the things that I'm trying to do to improve always in all ways, which is exactly what I hope you will keep doing until we meet again. That's it. He's Steven. I'm Jason, and we are out.